Cultivating Place is proud to receive support from the American Horticultural Society, celebrating 100 years of trusted, high-quality gardening and horticultural information and community since 1922. Also from the California Native Plant Society. California is a biodiversity hotspot on our planet, and CNPS is working to save and support the communities of plants and related beings and conditions that make it so. This is Cultivating Place. I'm Jennifer Jewell. As a farewell to the calendar year that has been, and a welcome and a wish for the year that will be, I am joined this week by seed keeper and agent of growing transformational change, Kelly Matsushita Seng. Known as Brave New Seed Online, Kelly is a Yonsei, fourth-generation queer Japanese-Chinese-American. The Farm Garden Assistant Manager at the UC Santa Cruz Center for Agroecology and a member of the Seed Research and Growing Collective known as Second Generation Seeds, which specializes in seeds of the Asian diaspora. Kelly's work focuses on sharing, education, and building a movement towards seed sovereignty as a means of cultivating community health and working for collective liberation. Kelly serves on the board of directors at the National Young Farmers Coalition and also organizes with the Asian American Farmers Alliance. Kelly, having been a speaker with you at the Slow Flowers Summit 2021 at Filoli this past June, and been moved by your leadership voice and vision in our shared horticultural world, I am so pleased to be speaking with you today. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much. Um, It's a pleasure to be here, and um, yeah, it's an honor to be part of this podcast. I love to start conversations that I have with people asking them to reflect a little bit on their own mission and organizing or motivating North Star in in words. What gets you up in the morning uh, doing the hard and sometimes relentless work that you are you are engaged in, Kelly? Yeah, I think to put it in some words, I feel like for me, the most important piece that I want to see is people finding places and finding communities where they feel held, where they feel seen, where they feel connected to, and where they feel strength. So for me, that comes through supporting people to build deeper connections to seeds in a way that connects them to their communities, to their ancestors, to their culture, to their heritage. Um, But I think we're in this moment in time where people are so deeply seeking a sense of connectivity and meaning. And when people don't have that sense of culture and belonging, then we lose the sort of ability to understand our place in the world and understand our ability to engage and and do meaningful work. So 
for me, I feel like that's the root of what keeps me going. So would it be possible to put into words like how you see seeds as that that agent of stability and connection and grounding in place? Yeah. I mean, for me, seeds are sort of a container. They're a vessel and they're a channel through which we can connect to our past, our future, ourselves. And so um, while they are our living, breathing ancestors, they're also um, the site of really potent exploration. And so in me sort of working to facilitate pathways for people to plug into that, I feel like I'm just kind of, um, you know, working to connect people to the magic of what is really held in the seeds themselves. Before we get into your your day-to-day work and your very specific work around uh, farming and seed tending and keeping, let's go back a little bit, if you will, and share with us some of your earliest influences and maybe some of the notable people and places and plants that grew you into a human for whom this would be the work you chose to do. Yeah, I actually didn't grow up with a a connection to farming in my life um, inherently, although I do come from a family of Japanese farmers. Um, You know, I never met them and I grew up in an urban way, disconnected sort of from that legacy. And so in terms of early plant influences in my life, I didn't have the kind of cultivated meaning, you know, that some folks have where they relate about their grandmother working in the garden with them and showing them this plant or that plant. I didn't have that experience. So in a way, I would say that I actually came to plants a lot later in life. It was sort of through my other work in community that I came to see plants and working with land as this sort of most potent site for the intersections of all the work that I was doing. My background is, you know, originally sort of in community organizing, in community health. I worked in many sort of different avenues and facets of that. working in youth empowerment, education, working in a law office, doing anti-death penalty work, and working, you know, in different community spaces. And so I really only came to this deep sense of plants a lot later in my life. However, I was really, you know, the the values and the sort of intentions that I feel that I carry and that I want to carry in my work have been sort of deeply put into me by the folks 
who I organized with, the people who held relationship and held intention and held sort of the values of the world that we wanted to see and the world that we wanted to create, you know, deeply in their hearts and close to their hearts. And so, you know, it was sort of these visionary organizing comrades that <laughs> shaped my pathway, um, people who I deeply looked up to um, and people who always were, you know, needing to create the things that they needed to survive and to thrive because they didn't exist. Where were you born and raised? And, and maybe take us on the path that took you to community organizing. Yeah, I was um, born and raised in Los Angeles, um, and I've lived in a number of different parts of the LA area. And I didn't study any kind of agriculture or plant-based field when I was in school. I actually have an art background, and I studied photography and art history as a means of, you know, sort of investigating our history and present and understanding our culture. And I felt that I didn't really attend a school that was a really good fit for me in many senses. But what I did find was a group of humans who also felt the same way. And that group of humans was sort of a sub group of people who really instilled in me a lot of these initial values of questioning why things were the way they were. You know, it was a sort of a community political education <laughs> circle in a way. That was sort of my early education. And then I went on to work um, in youth arts education right after school. And I think it was through that experience of storytelling and working in community that I started to really kind of get a deeper sense for what kinds of things were able to build meaning and healing and um, kind of a sense of belonging for people. I worked with youth in many different parts of LA um, in mm -hmm. uh, a lot of um, areas, low income areas with youth with not a lot of resources. And I worked in these programs with them and essentially used the camera as a tool to tell their stories, mm -hmm. to tell their stories of their families yeah. and their communities. And I remember working in a community called Mar Vista, and there was a lot of violence um, that happened in that neighborhood. And, you know, one of our class sessions was just walking up and down the block and documenting the memorials that had popped up. Mm. And I was working with, mm. you know, 11 and 12 year olds, and this kind of like death and trauma was an, a regular part of their daily um, daily experience, but um, the way that they transcribed that into their storytelling 
for me was so um, profound. And so that, I think, was one of the first times where I really became inspired by this ability to use the story to initiate change. About how old would you have been in, in these experiences, Kelly? Oh, I was young. I was maybe 21 years old. So in this like great diversity of community work, um, n- not just this Mar Vista experience, but the others that you related earlier, do you remember or have a, a specific moment in which you started to meet plants or you started to meet seed in a way that that became the agent of change for, for, and, and the, the bridge for connection that you clearly were already on this path with in reaching out to youth in, in working in community in trying to find ways to tell stories in a transformational manner. Yeah, I would say that one of the sort of bridge points was when I supported a community garden space that was focused on growing food and increasing food access um, primarily for this um, Latinx community of mothers whose children attended the school right next to the garden. Mm. And so, you know, I worked to support that space there and to really build it as a place where they, the mothers could come every week and have a sense of community and also agency in the fact that they were growing this delicious, beautiful, nutritious food for their children that they definitely weren't able to access otherwise. Um, That for me was sort of the, maybe one of the first moments when I was really witnessing what it looks like when people feel like they have agency to bring health and to bring, you know, that kind of um, self-determination in their nutrition to their family. And so maybe tell us the, the progression that took you from this community work to, to veering towards land-based work, uh, farming flowers, seed, in whatever way they came to you. Mm-hmm. Well, during that time, I also so organized with a collective of young people, um, mostly women of color and queer folks of color. And what we did essentially was put on um, healing retreats for people to come. And one of the main premises of those were for people to be able to reconnect to land and find healing and meaning through that. So that's another sort of facet of me starting to understand land and human connection to land and the relationship to healing alongside this component of food access and nutrition and community agency that's happening simultaneously. From there, I realized that I needed to have more technical skills in mm-hmm. in growing. You know, we did a lot of incredible food growing in that garden space, 
but a lot of it was happenstance, right. you know, and by luck, I didn't necessarily have any knowledge or knowledge base and just tried a lot of different things. And so I realized that I needed a lot more technical skills if I was going to do land-based work and sort of really be able to produce food. Um, so I went to Santa Cruz actually to attend the farmer training program at UC Santa Cruz. Mm -hmm. Before I did that though, I, I did do the master gardener training program in LA. And that also connected me to a range of different people, many, mm -hmm. you know, a, a, a wide diversity of people. Some folks were interested in cultivating their roses and having the most beautiful sort of ornamental garden and others were really focused on um, food access and food justice and so that kind of exposed me to the spectrum of what was possible <laughs> yeah and from there I went on to the farmer training program at UC Santa Cruz and that was when I really became sort of <laughs> deeply immersed in the learning of land and food growing and kind of just studied and studied and read <laughs> and studied and farmed night and day all 20 24 7 really <laughs> yeah you know that was my I would say my introduction to flower farming but as well as to just larger scale farming production farming and then from there, I, you know, I never expected this, but I went on to the Emerging Farmer Training Program at a farm in Pescadero, um, Pie Ranch. And I there worked with animals and it was all the fields were tractor cultivated. So it's tractor scale and worked with animals, which was something that I had never thought I would do in either of those veins. <laughs> so I got to build a lot of, new and different skills from yeah mowing on the tractor to um, eviscerating a chicken this is cultivating place we're in conversation today with kelly matsushita seng seed keeper and agent of growing transformational change known as brave new seed online kelly is a yonsei a fourth generation queer Japanese-Chinese-American, the farm garden assistant manager at the UC Santa Cruz Center for Agroecology, and a member of the seed research and growing collective known as Second Generation Seeds, specializing in seeds and land-based relationships of the Asian diaspora. We'll be right back for more with Kelly. Stay with us. Cultivating Place is made possible by support from the American Horticultural Society. Soon to turn 100 years old and still growing strong, the AHS is committed to integrating science, education, social responsibility, environmental stewardship, community, and joy. The joy that reminds us all of the vibrancy and relevance of good gardening in our world. End-of-year donations to the AHS in honor of the gardeners in your life make great offerings for gardeners of all levels, ages, locations, and interests. 
Until December 31st, 2021, listeners of Cultivating Place receive a $10 discount on annual individual membership to the AHS. For the special Cultivating Place rate of just $25 a year, head on over to www.ahsgardening.org forward slash cp. Cultivating Place is also made possible by the California Native Plant Society, on a mission to save California's native plants and places using both head and heart. Of the Society's many programs of note, I am so excited to share more about their newest, Bloom California. This campaign aims to increase native plant awareness, appreciation, and sales across the state in order to transform our gardens, parks, business fronts, and beyond into native plant habitats. Over 85 nurseries across California have partnered to offer you Bloom California Native Plants. Native plants highlight a beauty unique to your region. They support wildlife and are climate conscious. Visit bloomcalifornia.org to find a nursery near you. And look for Bloom California logos at participating nurseries to discover these beautiful native plants. Ready to be planted in your garden. Hey, it's Jennifer. So I'm really struck by the stark contrast between Kelly's description of working with youth and using photography to document the memorials to lost life in these youth's neighborhood, and the description of working in the community garden with Latinx mothers growing fresh food for their families. These are two very different scenarios of how life can go. We face choices every day in and with our gardens. Windowsill gardens, front yard gardens, community gardens, backyard gardens, orchards. What a difference a garden and gardeners can make. For me, this is the message I take away from every conversation with other gardeners. Gardeners just like you and me and Kelly. Together, we grow the world better. And that is an actionable item to bolster your gardening courage heading into 2022. We're back now to our conversation with seed person, farmer, and community builder, Kelly Matsushita Seng. Kelly and the Second Generation Seeds Collective look at seed as story, as food, as medicine, and as beauty. Kelly strives to look at seed from an and-also mindset rather than an either-or mindset. For instance, experimenting with the edible chrysanthemum known in Japan as Shungiku, now botanically known as Glebionis coronaria, as a cut flower as well as a vegetable. As we come back, Kelly shares more about the beginnings of the Second Generation Seeds Collective, the members of whom focus on seeds and foods of the Asian diaspora and their seed stewardship program. In terms of the collective, you know, there have been our, our core collective members were 
thinking, talking, dreaming, scheming for a few years before the actual birth of the collective. And we were all thinking and talking and dreaming about the same things in terms of how we wanted to build a community of people working on supporting seed sovereignty, specifically for farmers of color. And even more specifically, you know, we didn't really see anything that was for the API community specifically. Um, and this was all something that we were interested in and wanted to build together. And in terms of what it would look like, you know, we didn't really know initially because we're all in different locations across the West Coast. But this last year, 2021, we launched a program called Seed Stewards. And that program essentially engages different people. It's, it's online and it engages different people in programming each month related to a specific crop or crop type. And it's been really cool and beautiful to see how everybody is relating and connecting in their community to each of these different crops. For example, um, in the month of June, we featured chrysanthemum and saltus. And we connected with different partners. For instance, I created a video with Farhan about their experience growing chrysanthemum to share with our community in the States to just understand its context and cultural meaning mm. and history a little bit more. Yeah. So, so we're sort of exploring different avenues for people to learn about crops and re-engage them in their community. We're also kind of producing a number of different um, sort of, uh, you know, sort of videos and chef highlights kind of showing how people engage crops in a contemporary way, but also how they might've been used traditionally. Something that we're interested in is building on an understanding, for instance, with Perilla, there are so many different communities across the Asian diaspora to whom perilla is a really important crop and plant and medicine. And so part of this work is also highlighting that cross-cultural component and that it's not a monolith, you know, that there's many different varieties, each with their own use and meaning and traditions. Um, and it's not this one variety that you may see if you can find it in an Asian grocery store, right? There's so much more to the plant and to its history and to its situation in our culture. So I'm wondering about your experience in exploring and celebrating and focusing on each of these individual plants from all of these different perspectives and associations and and how do people respond about kind of seeing what is an, a green all of a sudden revealed to them as this like incredibly dimensional storied container like you describe seeds right in the beginning I mean I think it's like a mind exploding moment for people <laughs> really I think our food 
diversity and what people know can be so limited. And I think it really is a moment when people are like, oh my God, there's 20 varieties of this thing and they, they're each used in a different way and prepared in a different way. And you, they're grown differently. And there's, you know, even in organic seed catalogs, there is a very clear sort of <laughs> pigeonholing or sort of funneling down of the diversity of crops to, for many different communities, you know, there might, there might be one or two varieties that are represented. And there's also often not any of their meaning or origin represented. When that happens, right? Like when you're in a seed stewardship experience with people and, you know, they're watching the video that you made and they're learning about all these different varieties of this, what they thought was just one, you know, kind of a green. Um, and there is this, you know, incredible filling out of understanding. Do you, do you experience in that moment as a seed person yourself that, um, you know, that sort of connection, um, or that, like that successful spark of the connection you were talking about right in the very beginning as being what gets you up in the morning is like reconnecting people to some sort of like life force. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I'm just searching for words really, Kelly, about what happens at that moment, because then in that moment, when they, when they are able to identify and, um, feel, feel that connection, it does like give them a little bit of meaning of something to ground them. So they aren't just floating around looking for meaning, <laughs> but they're like, wait, that, all of that legacy is right is right there in this food and in this seed that's absolutely i think that people then see all the other start to see all the other possibilities and think about what does this mean for me and when mm -hmm. i work with people who are newer to seed it feels like that's such a powerful moment when they're thinking, what does this mean for seeds that were important to my community and my ancestors? Right. And it really does start to situate people in their own origins and ancestries and food ways. I think it's a type of meaning making and belonging that a lot of people are not necessarily used to. People meaning like in our contemporary <laughs> US based yeah. Yeah. system. Yeah, systems. And I don't know, there's some hope in my in my life. You know, I am that example of, you know, kind of a completely homogenized U.S. embodiment of a, a middle-class, middle-aged, you know, white woman with a college education and very little cultural association that you could give a name to or an umbrella to. And yet there is my surrogate, I think I would say, culture is the garden itself, is my engagement with my own gardening 
life and history. And in that sort of solid footing for my own sense of identity, I find it becomes this like connecting point of, of universality in that particular. There's something about that that I, I try and find hope in, maybe as a Pollyanna, Kelly, I don't know. But if I am on solid ground, it is so much easier for me to want other people to be on that same solid ground. Not my same ground, but their own solid ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting what you said about the garden as this sort of surrogate, because I think when people are able to, not, not I don't want to say interrogate, but understand and sort of investigate their own stories, Mm-hmm. That pushes back against this kind of appropriation of stories that's happening all over. Right. Yes. Both intentionally and unintentionally. This is Cultivating Place. We're in conversation today with Kelly Matsushita Seng, seed keeper and agent of growing transformational change known as Brave New Seed Online. Kelly is a farmer at the UC Santa Cruz Center for Agroecology and a member of the seed research and growing collective Second Generation Seeds. We'll be right back after a break. Stay with us. All right, so continuing this thinking out loud this week, here's another aspect of Kelly's gardening work that is imprinted now in my gardener brain, and which is again illustrated throughout the past year of Cultivating Place conversations. When Kelly is describing her work researching and understanding what are often grouped as so-called Asian vegetables or Asian seeds, she tells us, Quote, the concept of Asian is not in fact a monolith, and that in the specifics of, say, perilla or edible chrysanthemum or whatever the vegetable might be, there might be different varieties of them, each with their own use, each with their own names in different cultures and different meaning and traditions. And so part of Kelly's work is exposing and celebrating that. And yet each name, use, tradition, and meaning is part of the whole identity of that food or seed. In their online statement of purpose, Second Generation Seeds includes this, quote, through our collaborations with growers, breeders, chefs, and community organizers, we work to identify and develop desirable traits for Asian crops in our hopes of imbuing them with relevance for the future. Through online and in-person experiences, we aim to widen our circle of dialogue about all the elements needed to pass on old stories and to imagine new ones. We want to design new forms of participatory research that excite and empower our communities. Ultimately, we want to support all of you in your seed adventures so that our decisions and practices uphold the integrity we desire for the world. 
end quote. And listening to Kelly and reading these words, it dawned on me that all of this is the same for us as gardeners, and that that is part of what we hope to shine a celebratory light on here in these Cultivating Place conversations. We are not a monolith. We are not from one place, not of one age or one motivating force or one early influence. We are a symphony, a panoply, a wondrous biodiversity of tending and growing and composting, and all together we are far, far more than the sum of our parts. We are the great germination. As we have heard over and over this past year, we are the great germination of a family of humans, creating a kinder and more functional ecosystem, interdependent and interconnected with kin and kindred across this generous and beautiful planet. The world is better for caring, cared for, and intentional gardens, and caring, intentional gardeners of integrity and relevance for the future. I am happy to be here together with you, and the dedication and intention of gardeners like Kelly and communities of like-intentioned gardeners. A very happy, healthy, and growing new year to us all. We're back now to our conversation with educator, farmer, seed person, and community builder Kelly Matsushita Seng. In June of this year, 2021, I had the pleasure of meeting and hearing Kelly present and lead a panel on sustainable flower farming for the Slow Flowers Summit held at the Filoli Garden in Woodside, California. In the presentation, Kelly beautifully reminded the audience that, botanically speaking, a perfect flower is in fact a queer flower, encompassing essential masculine and feminine characteristics. As we come back to the final segment of our conversation, Kelly and I explore the individuals that comprise the Second Generation Seeds Collective and how we as gardeners and they as growers allow for time, diligence, and respectful care in a time of urgency. The Second Generation Seed Line was started by a grower Korean farmer, Kristen Leach, who farms at Namu Farm. And she has been growing seeds for that seed line for a number of years. And recently we created the Growers Collective, the Second Generation Collective, which is um, myself, Kristen, um, a farmer, Scott Lehman Chang of Shaoshan Farm, and Ari um, Delienya from Kamean Farm up in Washington. And we are working through our second generation seed steward program with a few other farmers as well, um, who are sort of other satellites beyond the core collective to build 
programming in their communities, you know, with their CSA members and with their partners as well. How do you choose the seeds that you steward uh, any given season, Kelly? That's something that I'm constantly thinking about, actually. (laughs) And I feel like it's a mix of answers. One, firstly, is sort of what is the importance to the community? Mm -hmm. And also, how do people access it currently? One thing that we are sort of learning is that a lot of the things that we want to work with or work with, you know, you can't really get them anywhere else, not even in the Asian grocery store or the only way that people are able to grow them is if they somehow have seeds from someone in their community or their family. So I think that access and increasing access to a lot of these um, different crops and plants is a, is a really big motivator. Um, so community importance, lack, lack of access or access, um, you know, cultural significance. And then I also think a big one is sort of climate resilience and adaptability, working on stewarding things that can survive and thrive in a contemporary context. And for many of us on the West Coast, you know, that's drought, that's fire, it's unexpected heat waves, unexpected cold, um, but really just erratic weather in general. Um, But I would say that drought is probably the biggest one. And so I think we're both sort of balancing the history and community interest as with this idea of what what literally what will survive and thrive on our different farms when multiple of the farms have no access to water one of you know one of them is dry farming this year or very little water and I think as a collective of people who identify as Asian American, this is also an interesting question as well, because we each have our own experience of what that means and how we relate to our own community and identity. And so it's a, it's a whole uh, can of worms, really, when we're trying to unpack both the histories of plants and how they came to be in a particular way and how we see that through different seeds. Um, For instance, we're working with a seed uh, organization, um, Seed Savers Exchange, and doing some work to steward and grow out and trial some of the varieties in the Asian seed bank section that hasn't really been actively tended. So part of our work is understanding and trying to figure out what are the origins of those seeds? What are their histories? Are they like other things that people recognize? Are they like things that are on the market? And part of the challenge is that a lot of seed and genetic material was collected, you know, and throughout the 1900s and the early 2000s with the sort of I feel like explorer grabbing sense that we just need to preserve all the biodiversity there is so let's just get it from everywhere and that 
in our you know exploration of the seed bank has there's a real lack of information and tracking um a lot of the names are very difficult to unravel when we're looking at translations of names and sort of different dialects and what they've been called in different places or what they are called and what people understand them to be there's a lot of different components it's a it's a dilemma of our moment um that urgency versus that the the slow considered work of how to do this as well as we know we could do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel that. And I think we have to think about the, the fact that I don't think seeds can really exist, continue to exist without the community to which they belong and the community that cares for them. So even if they are to be collected and you know kept somewhere for all intents and purposes you know I think that doesn't really matter because in the long run they actually aren't able to exist and to continue to evolve and be what they are if that is not alongside the community that can care for them so there's this real clear link between the fact of us needing to have cultural preservation inherently linked with genetic preservation. Doing the work that you do in the world that we live in, which is conflicted at best, Kelly, how do you do that? How, how, how do we as humans, um, how do you as Kelly in second generation seed and a grower and a teacher, how do you preserve the cultural relationship and integrity and make sure that it is fully tended going forward and still allow that seed to be out in the world, um, evolving in, in the reality of our world as, as we now live in it in California, in the U S in our, our modern diaspora of, of all people and plants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's that's a hard question, and I think it's something that we grapple with all the time and every yeah. day. Yeah. But for me, I think what it comes down to is that when I do work and when I'm working with seed and sharing seed, you know, it's within a network, within a community that I have already built with and that I trust shares my values and intention right of stewardship and that's the only thing that I can do right is have trust and trust in the relationships and the networks that I have built intentionally um you know, we can't, once, you know, seeds are in plants, or they do their own thing, and we can't control them, nor how we can, can we can necessarily control how people share them, but I think up front, the only thing that we can do is put our intention into 
making sure that people are sharing the values that we believe in if we can how do you how do you hold hope there kelly because i think the tendency is i i'm strugg- i'm sort of i'm not being very articulate with my words but there is this moment where you're like okay never mind i'm not going to share my seeds with you people you know whoever we may be like it could be me on my street or or you in your community of people and yet, you know, you then realize that's not that to, to me, that also is that's a dead end in and of itself. And so how we stay open and keep building bridges despite the worry, how do you hold on to the hope part without closing off um, what you're doing to the wider world? Um the how to hold on to hope question is a really good one. I mean, I think I'm not sure that I have a great answer, but particularly when we're a group of people who are trying to farm and keep literal things alive, you know, seeds and the plants in this moment when there's such challenge to that physical act in itself um and that's that has to happen as part of all this work um i think it can be really hard and it is really hard you know i know that with the latest climate report the global climate report from the un we know that things are going to only get more extreme for the next 30 years, no matter what any of us do. We've already jumped over that cliff. Um, And so that fact in itself of thinking about how we're gonna continue seed stewardship work and food growing in a time of increasing challenge of being on land, where I know that water access and land access and conditions are only going to get more extreme. Um, I think it's, it's really challenging. Um, And so what does give me fuel is the connections that I am able to build with people and the um, sort of healing and hope that we are able to kind of create together um but it 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 is it is really difficult can you share uh any particular stories about beyond the ones you have shared of you know stories of finding seed or finding stories about the seed you are caring for that i don't know gave you cause for celebration and surprise maybe or serendipity that you kind of said that is why I'm here right there that is why I'm here Mm. I love that question um I don't know that I have an easy answer to that for me it's sort of this ongoing puzzle of continuing to unpack and find out more things and investigate um last year we 
initiated a chili pepper trialing project um, with the seed bank where you know each of our farms in the collective were growing out a number of different chili peppers and um, that in itself the process of us sharing information and sharing results together was almost more more revealing than the actual peppers themselves um <laughs> because it's it really helped me understand things that i don't know what you know what questions i'm not asking what questions i need to be asking and what questions we should all be asking about the different seeds that we're working with um so you know just to give some more context some of the peppers were of korean origin there was a, a lot a lot large amount of them that were of chinese origin and um, a few um, thai and japanese types um, and we were trying to unpack you know where these varieties came from what are their stories and does it make sense for them to be grown out in a contemporary way um, and so that process of question asking and sort of sharing them with people um, was really interesting and seeing what we need to what we need to be thinking about. Is there anything you would like to add about how you see the importance of seed, both cultural seed, food seed, wildlife seed, um, in, in this exact moment in our world, Kelly? I feel like there's so much that I could say, but I think seeds are just such a place where we can see ourselves build community agency and community power and reclaim ancestral knowledge and really um, work towards a place of collective liberation. I feel like seeds are how we can protect community knowledge and wisdom and create a place of self-determination for people and really they're the start of everything and so without them you know i don't know without our connection to that i don't know where we would be i also want to add though i think it's really important to remember that people growing food in a way that's rooted in seed sovereignty as their means of production is still how the majority of the world is eating um, so peasants, peasant farmers and indigenous people saving and stewarding their own seeds are feeding, I think, 70% of the world. So that, that loss of connection is not a universal thing. You know, it's very specific um, and also very intentional, I think. Thank you. Thank you very much for, for speaking with me. I really appreciate it and I appreciate the work of Second Generation Seeds and I'm really grateful for your time. Thank you. It's been real, really interesting and enjoyable to explore the journey of this work with you.
Kelly Matsushita Seng is known as Brave New Seed Online. Kelly is a Yonsei, fourth-generation, queer, Japanese-Chinese-American, the farm and garden assistant manager at the UC Santa Cruz Center for Agroecology, and a member of the seed research and growing collective Second Generation Seeds, which specializes in seeds of the Asian diaspora. Kelly's background is in anti-death penalty work, education, youth empowerment, and community organizing. Kelly's work focuses on building a movement towards seed sovereignty as a means of cultivating community health and working for collective liberation. Kelly serves on the board of directors at the National Young Farmers Coalition and organizes with the Asian American Farmers Alliance. Kelly focuses on growing seed keepers, creating pathways for people to connect to ancestral foodways, and cultivating seed stewards that are rooted in community. That is a wonderful welcome and wish for 2022. Join us again next week when we begin the 2022 calendar year with gardener, novelist, and ecologist Diane Wilson, author of The Seed Keeper. Listen in next year. Cultivating Place is a co-production of North State Public Radio. Cultivating Place is made possible by listeners just like you through the support button at cultivatingplace.com. Thank you to all of you who donate on a recurring basis monthly throughout the year, and most recently to Lucinda, Amy, Charlotte, Kathy and Rich, Frank, Sophia, and Keith. You make this weekly and yearly work possible. Cultivating Place is also made possible by partner support from the American Horticultural Society and the California Native Plant Society. The Cultivating Place team includes producer and engineer Matt Fiddler and producer and development director Sarah Bohannon. We're grateful for tech and web support every week from Angel Haracha. We're based on the traditional and present homelands of the Machupta Indian tribe of the Chico Rancheria. Original theme music for Cultivating Place is by Ma Muse, accompanied by Joe Craven and Sam Bevan. Cultivating Place is distributed nationally by PRX, Public Radio Exchange. Until next week, enjoy the cultivation of your place. I'm Jennifer Jewell.